good looking. Stop. Stop. Always well dressed. <laughs> well mannered. Wow, you kept helping me now when I Rick DeRico. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Tony. Thank you so much. All right, thank you so much for coming. Um, I also have an app called Worthwhile Words. Sorry, Dela. Worthwhile Words. You've been on it, Nicole, right? You rock, right? You're good. Anyway, please welcome Jeff Buell. Give him up. Give him a hand. Jeff. We have a lot to cover, but I want to tell you right up front. Wait, you didn't call me well-mannered and well-dressed. Well-mannered and well-mannered. <laughs> Just kidding. And well-dressed. Good. Hey. Um, so here's the thing. We like to open these things up early, okay? So I don't want you to have to wait 40 minutes to have a question. That you, hopefully I'll remember that question because I want to ask it later. So I'll be looking up. I got a lot of questions here I want to go through. You know, I'll get grease the skids. And then um, I'll be looking up. So please be ready and I'll, I'll look at you and point to you, all right? And you have your microphone, Savan? Yes, sir. Good. All right. So for starters, I just want to say, this is some headlines. This is like ripped from the headlines from Jeff Buell, um, one headline, man, they didn't even use your name, just, man. just <laughs> man. This is a couple of years ago though, so maybe they would have changed it now, but man gave out $100 for 365 days in memory of his sister. Anyone remember reading that story? I'm gonna talk a little bit about that. It is worth, this is that man. 20 things you didn't know about me. Jeff Buell. Now, hopefully you didn't watch that, read that, because we'll talk on some of those things here. But um, that was just February 4th. Redburn Development Partners buys more property in downtown Albany. That was just February 5th. Jeff Buell sells two downtown Troy buildings for $3.2 million. By the way, he bought them for $360,000. Not bad. He did invest $2 million, though. And he sold them to a, uh, person, a buyer from San Francisco. Artisan Incubator to open in downtown Schenectady, and many, many more headlines. So my first question to you is just what motivates you? What's the drive behind these headlines? Yeah, it's certainly not the headlines. Um, I think you should always read your headlines, but not believe them. Um, so I've gotten pretty good at that. Um, I don't know what motivates me. Uh, I, I used to say that it was a, a fear of failure, uh, and then uh, I just think that that's so ridiculous. Um, <laughs> What actually motivates me is um, I just want to see um, I just want to see everybody be a little happier, uh, and I think that if we could all be a little happier, uh, everything else would kind of fall into place. You're not going to get any. Um, just as a warning, you won't be getting any. I need a 7.2% return on my investment today. Uh, not really my thing. Um, I'm definitely more in the. Um, happy-go-lucky, uh, let's believe in each other, um, and then, you know, it can marry Kumbaya, up. a little yeah, kumbaya. Yeah, now, uh, yeah, definitely kumbaya. And then, can hold hands later. And then how do we marry up the business end of it and make it work? Exactly. Um, so from my perspective, the motivation is um, I'm really blessed to be able to get up every morning and have no idea what my day is going to look like. That's uh, awesome. I had this on my schedule, and uh, I don't know what the rest of today looks like. That's me either. Oh, so, good. All right, that's good. No, I'm just kidding, Tony. Be doing lots of transpires. <laughs> but, uh, all right. Um, so, can you give us a little bit, set the table for us a little bit about your background, how, where you grew up, how you grew I know you grew up, he lives in Troy, I mean, lives in Snackdy now, right behind us, actually, in the stockade area. He uh, grew up in Troy, very regional guy. So, you're, tell me a little bit about your home life growing up. And then just kind of what inspired you to do what you're doing now? Uh, so I grew up uh, decidedly lower middle class um, in Troy. Uh, spent 
the majority of my life there. Um, you know, I went to school at St. Rose, so I've always been local. Um, and uh, after school, um, I lived in, boy, I lived in like 12 different apartments in downtown Troy over the course of 12 years. Uh, I am one that needs to be moving, uh, literally and figuratively. Um, so uh, I spent most of my time in downtown Troy and then obviously moved to Schenectady a couple of years ago. And Schenectady's better. I know that you don't like to put cities against each other, but Schenectady is, I mean. I think, um, well, so let's just start there. Um, <laughs> it lives here. I have a very, I have a very vivid memory of, um, I was the economic development coordinator for Troy before Troy was cool. And, um, you know, was attempting to drive, um, activity there and, and I vividly remember an article in the Times Union where I said something to the effect of uh, everything works in Troy because it's people doing blood sweat and tears in their business and in Schenectady Metroplex just hands everybody money. Um, Is Ray Gilman here? Good. He's not okay, here good. but he definitely, he definitely remembers the quote and throws it in my face as much as he can. We're live saving this on Facebook by the way so um, Ray But I, um, I'm so disappointed in that person who said that. Uh, because I was incredibly short-sighted and had this concept that Troy could compete against Schenectady and Albany um, without uh, any working together and that some success would come of that. And it's such nonsense. Uh, and I, you know, I was 25 at the time, so you know, I, didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, but So I don't think that any one of them is better. Um, I've invested the majority of my adult life into the city of Troy. Uh, we will soon be over uh, $25 million of investment in downtown Schenectady, and by the end of 2021, we'll have invested at least $80 million in downtown Albany, which was like really low on my list of cool places to be for a very long time. Big disparager of Albany, and now I'm the biggest hypocrite you can imagine saying, everyone come to downtown Albany. <laughs> um, so I, I, Schenectady's better in its own way, and Troy's better in its own way, and, and Albany's better in its own way, and I think... That sounds kind of like a song. Everything is beautiful in its own way. Oh, well, but it's so true. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, Troy has this incredible walkability and this quaint downtown with historic buildings, and, you know, we've rehabbed them, and they look great, and yeah. here I'm, you know, I live at the corner of Lafayette and State Street, and I can walk to an actual casino in 20 minutes, and I can go to Proctor's, and I can go to a movie theater, and like 40 restaurants, right? It's a bigger city life, and Albany has 65,000 people that commute into downtown to work every day. That's a real, actual city, people. And, uh, you know, I think that even, um, even place we've developed property in Hoosick Falls, which has like 14 people, uh, but they're a fun 14 people. So, you know, I'm, it's, it's an emerging thing for me, this yeah. idea of regionalization. Uh, I have to wear that hypocrite badge because I did try to pit communities against each other for the betterment of myself at the time, and I'm now thinking that that's just completely ridiculous. To one important question, and I want to get back to the regionalization. Um, favorite restaurant in Schenectady? Oh man, this week? Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, an, it's literally impossible to answer, right. but Liza's, okay. uh, Slide and Dirty, who are both my tenants. Um, oh, yeah, nice. Love Daly's, Mexican Radio, Aperitivo, I love everything. 151, okay. uh, you can't go wrong. Yeah, you're right, you can't go wrong. All right, you didn't mention Saratoga Springs in your list. Yeah. And it... <laughs> okay, could See you, that? Could you explain? Ugh. It's perfect. It's too... I, I have a hard time enjoying places where there's no need for me. Um, I'm just, I'm just going gonna, gonna to own it. Um, so there's a little bit of that old me that just popped out, right? Saratoga's 
incredible. What a success story. It's the upstate New York success story. Um, if it was larger, you would be hearing about it along the same lines of an Austin, Texas, or a Denver, Colorado, or a Minneapolis, Minnesota, right? These places that are just thriving urban areas that once weren't. Uh, and Saratoga is very much like that, but for the smaller scale. So I think from our perspective as a development company, we're not going to go to Saratoga. There's incredible people that work there. And our development mission isn't based only on how much money can we make. And not the people that are there working there. That's what they're driven by. But to work in Saratoga, it has to be uh, your paramount focus at this point. Um, and so we'll continue um, working in you know poor, struggling areas and trying to create some vibrancy to see what happens. I'm sure there are some people in Saratoga who are happy to hear you say that anyway. The sure. developers. Yeah. And I won't mention their initials, Sonny Benaccio. So, um, before I go to the next, Mike, some of my questions. Is there a question in the audience? There's not a question in the audience. Keep going. Wow. All right. I will. I'm not saying anything important yet. Do you have a, um, by the way, any headlines you want to announce for us here? Any news? I always tell people we break news here a lot of times. Um, so we're, uh, yeah, we're making uh, an, uh, uh, $10.5 million investment in downtown Schenectady uh, in the Stockade District. Uh, we're buying 22-ish um, historic buildings uh, that are already actually rehab and doing well, and we think that we can be a great steward for them uh, and provide some professional management and increase their value over uh, the next couple of years. So that's awesome. uh, you know that's something that's we haven't really done yet. Uh, we're we're buying cash flow, um, but uh, that's important too. Right. Awesome. Okay, Mike DeSocio, you got that so from the business review. So make sure you saw that. All right. Um, you described the region as having the, which is when we were having a conversation in advance, Bale and I and you, um, that the region has the equivalent of a sixth grader's self-esteem problem. So what do you mean by that? Um, in my less kind words, I would say that if you removed all of the people from the capital region and just plopped down the infrastructure that we have here, it would be one of the most incredible places in the world. I mean, we're an hour from the Adirondacks and the six million acres of that beauty. We're three hours from New York, four hours from Buffalo, two and a half from Boston. People that's always make fun of that, though. They always say that's saying the easiest way to get out of the capital region. We can get to Boston, we can yeah, get to New York. they have the self-esteem problem of a sixth grader. Uh, <laughs> Did I just fall into a trap? Yeah, there? I mean, you just proved the point. Like, uh, the biggest problem we have and overcoming um, the deficiencies in this area are the people that are in this area. They're so negative. And I don't want to beat them up because a lot of them are negative because of the generational um, impact that they've had. There's been a disinvestment in this area for the last 70 years. I can see, I, I look at pictures in downtown Schenectady and downtown Troy from the 1950s and it was a booming metropolis. We were incredible in 1890. I know it's 120 years ago, 130 years ago, Troy was the third wealthiest city in the entire country. Or Silicon Valley. There's a reason that this place is here to begin with and it was because it had incredible assets. Those incredible assets haven't gone away. The weather has always been the weather here. It didn't suddenly just get terrible. Uh, taxes are high everywhere. No one wants to pay taxes, but the difference between Paying taxes of 10000 and 11000 it's less than $1,000 if you go into the figurative sense of it. it does, none of that matters. What matters here is if you bring somebody in here from the outside and I, you give me a half an hour to tour them through downtown Troy and downtown Schenectady and downtown Albany, they will love it by the time I'm done my 30-minute pitch. Right. And then if you tell them to go to the bar and hang out with somebody who's lived here their whole life, they will sprint away from this place. Well, it's funny because I don't know if those of you remember Mike Marvin, who used to be CEO of Map Info. Remember Mike, do you know the name Mike Marvin? Nope. So, okay, so you, have, you know the name Map Info? Yes. Okay. 
So um, when he used to recruit people from outside of the area, he would not let them actually interact with any locals that were working for MapInfo. It had to be all the out-of-towners, because they were the ones that were the biggest cheerleaders. Yes, I mean, I was having a great conversation um, uh, with uh, the Alliance for the Creative Economy a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about this branding effort. You know, I, uh, I love what the, the name Tech Valley has brought to the area, but I, we, if we think we're gonna market ourselves as Tech Valley to millennials and Generation Z, the people behind them were incredibly wrong. Um, and you know, we're talking about how do we pitch this as a place. And um, I said, it's really easy for me to go to Tony and to go to uh, the hospitals and go to the universities and convince them that, hey, here's this really great idea I had. We're gonna market ourselves as a big small city or um, uh, uh, major metro mini market. Uh, I, I screwed it up. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, but they, yeah. you know, we have all these concepts that we can do that we can, that we can make relevant in this area. And I can get all of the people that are up at the top to buy in because they're all believers in this area that it can become something. And if I go down two floors from where they are and meet all of their employees and say I'm gonna do the exact same thing, I will get zero buy-in. And um, that is uh, something that needs to change uh, rapidly. And when I say rapidly, um, I sometimes get a little sad at these things because I can get people to buy in by the end. I know who's leaning in, who's interested, who's smiling. And uh, then you have to say, like, this is going to take 50 or 60 years. Like, it took 70 years to ruin it. It's going to take at least 50 or 60 to fix it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, all right, I probably won't see it. Great. Um, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't plant the tree today. And you were mentioning grandchildren in our conversation. Yeah, my grandchildren. Right. If I don't even have a child. So theoretically, if I one day had a grandchild, they might see it. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I... So the sixth grade thing is, you know, you can have all, I was, I was a sixth grader with no self-esteem. I was a 30-year-old with no self-esteem. I was just starting to figure this self-esteem thing out. Um, you, you know, like the sixth grader, they, have the, they understand who they are. They understand where they're living, but then they look in the mirror and they have all these doubts. And we have such doubt as a region um, that I, I feel like if one person a day could just jump on the bandwagon of saying, man, I love it here. And I didn't always love it here. Right. I love it here and here's why. And just speak goodness into the world instead of negativity. It's the only way to change it. And there's no way to put it on a chart and see how long it happens. Part of it is also seeing it. Like you live in these cities, you've driven. When you, people come to Schenectady, I invite them to come. We invite them to Transpire to come. And then they go, oh, I didn't realize how much was happening here. So they still have a perception that's a misperception really Huge perception. at this stage. Yeah, my parents come over here, I don't know. I probably went to Schenectady twice in my entire life before I was 25 years old. Twice. Right. I grew up 20 minutes away. Right. Well, it's across the river. It's across the river. You got the oh, river. You got to watch out for that river. You know, like we didn't build like bridges Berlin 100 wall. years ago. Um, any questions? Yes, right here, Steve LaBelle. Tell me your view of how arts and culture plays into... The role that arts and culture plays into... The growth. Everything we're talking about. Okay. So for me, it would be number one on the list. Thank you. Um, I think that for, you know, since the Industrial Revolution, our cities have been job centers and people clustered around the jobs and that's what they grew. That's how cities grew. They grew because of the jobs. And I think that there's a shift happening. Um, it's, you know, it's anecdotal. I'm sure there's other people that think the same thing. I'm sure there's people that think the exact opposite. Who knows who's right? Um, but in my head, cities are going to transform from job centers to living centers. And where we are investing is in places like downtown Albany is great for me, a great example. You know, we bought 
I don't know how many buildings. It was a lot of buildings. It's 450,000 square feet of vacant properties. We can curate that to look like however we want to look like. And, and so we're chasing uses that people would not chase, that can't pay as much money, because we believe in creating the vibrancy that we need down there. So do I need a job to live in downtown Albany, or will I go live in downtown Albany, Schenectady, Troy, put them all together? Will I go live down there because I'm rethinking the way the world works, especially from a work standpoint? Millennials don't care about their job. Uh, I think there's something like they'll switch jobs like 15 times in their life, whereas my parents' generation, it was three to four. It's a completely different world that we're growing up in. And if we, and we're all still growing up, right? Nobody ever stops growing up. So if we can make it so that cities are vibrant places to live and work and play, and that's so cliche, but so very true, then we don't really have to worry about the jobs because good companies, you know this, Good companies need good people. You'll go where the good people are. So if we can change communities to make them more livable and more attractive, um, and it's easy right now. We have hundreds of apartments and they're all full. Great, they're all between 20 and 40 years old. That's the easy part, backfilling it so that they wouldn't get married and have families and don't move to Niskayuna. Or I'm, looking, I'm literally looking at everybody on my team back there and all the suburbs that they live in, except for me. Uh, and um, you know how do we do how do we do that? So arts and culture, absolutely the number one thing we should be having events in the street every weekend. The reason that Troy boomed so well is because the farmers market became not only a capital district attraction, it became a northeast attraction, and people in New York City know about the Troy farmers market. That's why Troy boomed. Before I forget, can the Redburn crowd? You guys want to stand up or make some noise back there? There's a bunch of you. How many people are on your team? I don't know, like ten. Thirteen, something like that. Yeah. Hey. So um, I want you to be my fact checker. So I'm going to ask him some personal questions later, and if there's anything that's a discrepancy, you can feel free. I'll give you the mic. I am a walking discrepancy. <laughs> so to give me a little bit of a. I'll get you one sec. Thank you. Um, how do, how do projects, so you talked about the Albany project, for instance, how do projects cross your path? And then, like, the, give me a little bit of the thinking and the philosophy when you're considering a project. The first building that I ever developed, I actually had a dream uh, at night, and I was like, ah, I could buy that building and then buy all the other buildings around it and turn it into a pedestrian street, it'll be amazing. And, I don't know, I, I, I went down and had a conversation with Liz and said, here's my great idea. And then I actually ended up buying that building and the ones across the street never got it to turn into a pedestrian street because I started getting cranky about Troy and left. Um, but, um, so I is think- Is he cranky? Uh, oh man. I'm fact checking, right. in real time. The chair of the IDA was eating lunch next to me and I was only complaining about the city of Troy for a half an hour. Um, I, so do you have dreams for all your projects? No. Okay. Um, so I think that that's how it started, but now um, the, the great thing about success uh, is that uh, if you're crazy like I am and you have some success, you end up uh, going from crazy to eccentric, and people can deal with eccentric. Uh, they're like, oh, he's just a little bit off, that's okay. Um, so uh, now I think we've gained a reputation as um, the people who are willing to develop just about anything, um, and that doesn't mean that we don't have standards, but what we're looking for is so much different. We are a very, uh, very different development team. Uh, we look at things incredibly different than most people. So now we have uh, the benefit of people bring us stuff. Right. Um, and you know we're looking at a project in Utica that 
you know, we wouldn't have done ever, but you know, it was brought to us and, oh, that looks like fun, you know, so. Um, I you got to be disciplined a little bit too, right? Well, to so the, the merged company, for those of you who don't know, I own my own development company. We merged last year with Redburn Development. Is that sequential? Um, sequence. Sequence. Yeah, so the merger was sequential, so that sequential. works. Thank you. Um, Thanks for covering me on that. That's what I meant. Um, you know, we have uh, three principals who also view the world very differently, and uh, we're careful about uh, writing our operating agreements so that we all had to be unanimous on decisions. So the discipline is inherently there. Uh, we all have to agree to go do something, and so it has to make sense on my wishy-washy, I want the world to be good way, and then the engineers, uh, that need, the numbers need to make sense way. Excellent. There was a question back here. Yeah, just circle back just for a second. Uh, I run an art space business in downtown Schenectady, and you, I want to get... I'm going to get the X factor that exists in you. You didn't stick in Troy saying it's impossible to go across the river. And I'm fighting that all the time. It's a 10 minute drive for God's sakes. But well, we don't go over it just to get to you. So, and, and, and developing this region, I think this is a really critical question. Yeah. To become one region. What, you're different in the way you look at uh, investment, clearly. What makes you different in the way you look at the region? What happened? I don't, I don't know. That's a, no, that's a really great question because I, I remember having conversations when I was in my mid-20s where I would just think, I'm moving to Tampa and I hate it here and I'm miserable and I don't know why the, the switch flipped. Um, I do know that in our development um, operations that we are trying to force feed regionalization down people's throats. Um, so, you know, opened up a slide and dirty in Troy and then opened up a slide and dirty in Schenectady. And people get cranky about that because they're like, oh, that's Troy's slide and dirty, you shouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, well, that's just insane because I look at the region as if we're a million people strong, if you created a million person metropolitan area, there only wouldn't be one of everything. I look at Schenectady and Troy and Albany as neighborhoods now, and inside there are also neighborhoods inside of those cities, but it's our parochialism that's killing us, right? I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to, there's no politicians here, right? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, so, I don't want to sound like the governor either, but we have so many levels of government, good Lord. And, uh, you know, at some point we have to be able to get over that. Um, so, you know, just, We've had good success in, in businesses crossing the lines. Um, Nicole's here from Bluebird, and uh, just the response from uh, being in her store before she closed in Troy, and people saying, well, I can't believe you're moving to Schenectady. I'm never going over there. To then she opened, and now people are coming over, and they're like, I didn't know so much was happening in Schenectady. So if we can kind of force ourselves, if you're someone in this room that feels like you're trapped in a place, um, you don't need to. Like, I could take your Schenectady-based arts business and open up another one in downtown Albany, and you know, then you're going becomes... in the wrong direction, Jeff. Schenectady, stay in Schenectady. See, Rick, you got You you have to stop. This. I can't help it. I can't help it. Because, look, if Schenectady just tries to fight for Schenectady and Troy for Troy and Albany for Albany, we are going to die. It will not work. People. You're right. 1% growth isn't good. We shouldn't cheer ourselves because we had 1% growth. Bradenton last year had 14% growth. Right. Denver was 11. Let's shoot for those numbers. Hey, part of the reason is because we are an old community. So we have, you know, it was a that's full That's also wagon. a benefit. No, I mean, that's why there's all these different government entities. Well, I know that. You know? But, uh, I mean, I know why there's government. Right. I just also don't know why there's government. Well, I agree with you. We are in total agreement on that. <laughs> 
So you told me that, uh, you told the group actually here that you're an open book. Yeah. And um, you said in our interview uh, earlier that um, when Baylor and I talked to you, that um, you might actually enjoy your failures. I don't know if this is possible. Uh, the skeptic reporter may is still there, but you might enjoy your failures more than your successes. So in that vein, can you kind of share a failure? Is there uh, missed opportunities or, you know, I know there's probably a lesson learned out of those as well. So maybe if there's a failure slash. Well, so I thought about that after I said it to you because you were so caught off guard. Um, and then I realized I wasn't lying to myself. I actually do enjoy my failures more than my successes. Part of that is I'm just terrible at celebrating success, right? So like I'm, I won't allow myself to, um, to be overly happy with something that's happening. Really? So that's a, that's a personal thing. But also, um, the benefits of failure are so incredible. If you fall flat on your face and have the wherewithal to get up, um, you get the opportunity of understanding who stayed near you, who was supportive of you. Good. What did you learn from that lesson? Um, you know, uh, when it was just sequence development and it was a three-person operation, sorry, Liz, we were minutes from failure. No idea how we were going to make payroll three weeks out. Liz was interviewing to become the director of the Rensselaer County Chamber, which they made a huge mistake in not hiring her. Um, and, you know, it was, what am I going to do? I, I have failed. I'm going down. This was less than four years ago. Um, and that was a moment in time where you, you get to stop and focus and say, I don't want to fail. How am I going to get out of this? And, you know, in a series of four or five really good moves that worked, we went from failure to you know, success, uh, and everything is fantastic. So those failures allow you to remain humble, right? I'm the king of self-deprecating humor, but it's a way of keeping myself in check because if I start to believe the headlines, then I'll stop focusing and I'll stop working and then everything will collapse, and that's human history. Just look at how people collapse and how it all fails. Yep. If you don't keep yourself in check. So for me, constantly going back and looking at um, those failures and not focusing on them to the point of obsession, right. but just what did you learn and right. what can you take from it? And I have these conversations all the time of, man, I was in it today and, and here's what I remembered and wow. Is there one that stands out to you though that really sticks in your crawl? The one that frustrates me is Monument Square in Troy, um, mostly because I was working for the mayor when we decided to knock the building down in the first place, so my fault. Um, and then now it's a giant hole. And I had the best idea, right? I'm not a big I guy. I'd love to say we more than I. Um, but I had the best idea there and had the money and had the partners and had the, man, it was going to be an awesome project. And now there's a giant hole in the ground that I honestly don't think will ever get filled until they put a park there. Sorry, Heidi. <laughs> and um, that's like from a, because I let it get to me too. I let, I, I, I let the people who were, um, I let the people who pretended they were in it for the right reason, and I knew they were in it for their own financial gain, get to me uh, and kind of like made me run away from something I was passionate about. So I think if I'm looking from a professional standpoint, that would be... That's a lesson learned. And now who the Jeff today and the Jeff of then, you're... Yeah, I'd love to go, I'd love to go develop Monument Square, but I would build a public park there and try to build up you know, an infrastructure of arts and culture that we could build something around, because you don't need more apartments in downtown Troy, you need more people. I think Steve will talk to you later about you know, making that happen. <laughs> Another headline here. Any questions? Okay, we'll go over here real quick. It's just a downtown building. I don't, I don't want to go any farther than that at the point. There's another hand up over here I saw. Uh, go ahead, Mark. 
I just, from the standpoint of a business owner and a politician, uh, when it, if you look at upstate markets, Erie has one major county, the Buffalo area, Onondaga, and we don't. Yeah. That's where the nature of the growth of business yeah. the politicians fight each other. And how can businesses get them to change? Because they're concerned about owners. And by the way, businesses give a lot of money to politicians. So they need to speak to them and say, we will get it more. Everyone hear the question? Okay. Yeah, I mean, so um, we just received um, $6 million award from New York State to do our downtown Albany project, right? And this is New York, it's pay to play. Never donated a dime to Governor Cuomo. Um, I'm not saying it's like that for, uh, I'm not saying that it's not, those situations don't exist, but I think that the best thing that we can do is just tell our story, put our heads down, try to accomplish something, and um, I think the one benefit that we've had is that I'm a very good storyteller. Uh, and so I can go into an office and say, here's why you need to give me $6 million because I'm going to convince 500 millennials to spend $6 million in disposable income over the next year. Oh, I don't know if that's true. But we're, we're going to try to do that. Um, and so I think that from my perspective, I, I'm trying not to say ignore the politicians, but I'm really saying ignore the politics. Um, everything here is so hyper-political. I worked in Troy politics for six years and it was an absolute blood sport to the point where you would just get excited playing the game and didn't even realize what it was doing to me and dragging me down emotionally and making me such a negative, awful person. I hated that guy. And it was all politics that was driving it. And so we play the game really well by saying, here's what we're going to bring to your community. Um, but. Uh, I think if we could rally everyone to just, I don't have easy answers because I know how hard being a small business owner is too. Like I have, I have a ton of tenants who are working 80 hours a week to try and you know, get people to come in their store and make two or three sales. And you know, if you're a tenant of mine, you're not a tenant, you're a friend. And I'm in their business and I'm trying to figure it out with them and to the detriment of mine sometimes. Um, so I, I don't have these easy answers other than I believe in the story that I'm trying to tell and if I can encourage one person to jump along with it and say, I'm going to ignore the politics, I'm going to ignore all the reasons I can't build a business here and I'm just going to go, then one person one day and we've made a difference after 10 years. That's awesome. Uh, over here. So uh, first of all, appreciate the, the talk, it's been great. Uh, I'm new to the area, so I'm your target demographic. Somebody Don't who, listen to anyone here. <laughs> <laughs> Only listen to me. <laughs> Someone's got perspective, right? So when you talk about the fact that all these areas are close to each other, um, I'm saying, yeah, you're right. I'm used to being in a metropolitan area where it's a 45 minutes to an hour and a half drive to go from the equivalent of Albany to connect to the area of Troy. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, I'm loving the downtown Troy, actually, real gate to Troy. So I'm actually getting a fresh perspective. What I wanted to hear more about um, because I don't know you and I don't really know the story, is a little bit more of how you got from A to the mayor, economic development, to where you are now. Like, how did you scale up? What were the early steps to go from just a random 25-year-old getting up to Tampa to somebody who's now influential and, and kind of built some kind of business? It doesn't make any sense. Um, and it's, it's something that I've had to work on telling the story because it can sound so easy that I sometimes put too, uh, too many positive thoughts in people's heads who aren't ready to do it. Um, a lot of it was a blind leap of faith um, and just, sure, I could figure it out. Um, it made no sense to, uh, I went to school for journalism, so to become, to be a journalist and then, then go, <laughs> congratulations, Rick. Um, 
so to you know to go from journalist to I'm going to go be the spokesperson of the mayor of Troy, and then get sick of that and just say I'm going to go do real estate and convince a guy to give me a six-figure salary when I had never even looked at a pro forma. I did. I had never had a mortgage in my life, and I was like, I can do this. Um, you know, that doesn't actually make sense. And then. 2013 I started my company I'd only been doing real estate for three years and you know very arrogantly just was like oh, this is so easy I'm just gonna go do this um, so the benefits and the why it actually happened not why I did it but why it happened um, was because people believed in me and um, and I really try to keep my word every time I tell someone I'm gonna do something um, so you know I have investors and sometimes projects don't work and still pay them the returns at my personal loss um, because that's what you should do. Um, and I think I've be able to convince a bunch of people and uh, you know a lot of this is privilege uh, and it's something that when I first heard the concept of white privilege I kind of rejected because I was like well, I've worked really hard for everything I've had in my life and I have. doesn't mean I also haven't been privileged and so there were banks giving me loans um, when I was you know, 34 years old and had just started my company. And uh, if I, w I think that if I was an African-American woman at the same age, I would not have gotten that loan. Um, and that is a very, um, I'm, a, I'm a more conservative, economic, uh, liberal, political guy. Uh, I'm political, liberal, on, liberal on social issues um, and conservative on economics. And so to hear the concept of white privilege, it can be a, a front to somebody who has um, a big ego and wants to think that he did everything himself. Um, so I have um, taken great advantage of the things that have been given to me and now I feel like it's my duty to help uh, just give back as much as I can emotionally handle. Well that's a good segue actually to my question um, about this do the next good thing. So yeah. this was uh, you know, giving $100 a day, yep. and I think it was a thousand dollars on every thirtieth, yep. except February, maybe to the twenty-eighth. Yeah, or something. I and you gave to rand basically for people to to uh, to do something um, and pay it forward, right? Mm -hmm. So, what did you get out of that experience, or what did you learn from that experience? Are there stories that stand out? I know there's probably a ton, but maybe can you grab a little bit of that? Yeah, uh, I think going into it, um, I did it because uh, after the 2016 election. Um, there was so much hatred everywhere, and it just drove me almost insane. Like, uh, yeah, you might be right and you might be right, but neither of you are listening to each other and we're never going to solve this because being right isn't what's most important. So um, I decided that I was just gonna go out and meet random people with the hopes. I had this theory in my head that um, inherently all people are good um, and that they have good in them. So I, um, I took, uh, my journalistic background, which was I love to write, I love to write every single day, and I wanted to just go, you know, meet Tony in the street. And Tony would have no idea that I'm going to give him $100, uh, and I would sit there and I would chat with him for 10 minutes, try to get his story, um, and then I, in the middle of this, Jack Carpenter from Two Buttons Deep is here, would have failed flat on my face if it wasn't for Jack. So, um, you know, Jack was an emotional supporter, um, a, an actual worker. He would do stories himself. So the big takeaway was people are inherently good. And then over and over and over and over again, it was proven out that people are so good and everyone has a story. Um, I was in Denver this weekend and we were sharing what I learned from this um, project with, uh, there were 6,000 uh, Jewish teenagers at this conference, Jewish leadership conference. And you know, sat down and we're talking with a couple hundred of them at a time. 
And the, the big story that sticks out is this woman that I met in uh, downtown Schenectady at 5.30 in the morning. Um, I had gone out to run. Uh, I would post all these stories at 8 a.m. So I would get up and write them before 8 a.m. Um, and then post them on Facebook. And I met this woman and I said to her, you know, can I bother you for a minute? She said, well, do you have a cigarette? And I said, I don't. And she said, well, do you have a dollar? And I said, I, I could give you a dollar if you give me a little bit of your time. And she pauses and says, well, how about two dollars? <laughs> so I said, sure, I, I, can, I can do that. And she said, well, walk with me. I'm going to the Salvation Army for breakfast. So she's got a suitcase pulling behind her. I'm, in, you know, I'm, I'm out for like a, a, a jog walk, more walking than jogging. And uh, you know, we start talking. And I said, well, wh where did you spend the night last night? And she said, oh, I stayed in the street. I got out of jail at 11 o'clock. And I said, why? You got out of jail at 11 o'clock. How long were you in there? Oh, I did uh, about four months uh, for forgery. And, you know, I forged my name on someone else's checks. And, you know, she started talking to me about how um, she had been a drug counselor and was uh, working, trying to rehab people in her life. And her husband at the time got her into drugs. And she just collapsed and her life went down the drain and you know she had no teeth she was you know completely down on her luck had nothing just gotten out of jail had clearly done something wrong that you know in my opinion everybody can be forgiven um, and you know, here I am walking to the Salvation Army with this woman thinking what is my life like and um, she said so why are you talking to me and uh, I said well here's the story of my sister um, you know she passed away in April of 2016, and uh, you know, I'm trying to keep her memory alive. She had a bucket list, and there are five core things on that bucket list that she did in her life. And you know, these are things that I'm trying to now live out in my life and implant into other people if I can. And uh, she said, "Well, was it drugs that killed her?" And I said, "No." And she looks at me, and this is a woman who had just gotten out of jail, and her whole life had collapsed. She had nothing. She was walking to the Salvation Army for breakfast. And I said, no, my sister didn't die of drugs. And she looked at me and said, do you see how blessed I am? And I was, I just started crying. And we sat there and we just sat on the sidewalk and I just talked with her for another half an hour and said, well, how do we, how, do, how, do, how can I help you? And she's like, oh, you can't help me. You did say you were gonna give me $2. <laughs> so I told her, um, there's a lot of hope in this story. I told her I didn't have two dollars, but I had twenty, and I handed it to her. And you know, then she starts crying because she now she can't believe what's happening to her. And I said to her, "What do you want to do? How can you change your life? Like we're here this morning. How can I help you change your life?" And you know, she starts talking about what she wants to do. And you know, this is um, this is a great story of life because I have no conclusion to this story. But I told her when she's done with her parole and she can leave if she wants to move back to Atlanta where her family is, that I would pay for her bus ticket and I'd give her $500 and she could start her new life. Awesome. And I gave her my card and I said, just find somebody who has a phone or find somebody who's on Facebook and she has all my information. I have not heard from her, but if she were to call me today and say like, this is, I met you here and this is who I am, I'd be so excited to go help her and when I started this thing, we started giving away money on the 30th of the month, and we had an incredible amount of people would jump in, strangers in this room who just were reading my stories every day, and they would jump in and they would give money. 
Um, Street Soldiers is the one that um, pops into my head right away. Street Soldiers is an awesome group in Albany, Schenectady, Troy, and Saratoga, and they help the homeless people. It's just a bunch of volunteers who show up on a Thursday, Friday, or Saturday night, and they all bring their own food, potluck, and pizza from Domino's, and clothes, and they give it out. And I, I went with Nicole one night, and, and I looked at Renee, who was running it, and I said, this is incredible. I, I'm going to raise $10,000 for you tomorrow and um, put $1,000 of my own money in, and we got to $10,000 in like 12 hours. Just wow. random strangers wow. from around the Capital District, $50 at a time. Wow. And we raised $10,000 in like 24 hours because people are inherently good, and they want, they want to, not only do they want to do good, but they want to support an underdog, and that's the basis of our wrapping this whole thing up. That's the basis of our philosophy. We're working in areas that is, we're the underdog areas, connected to Albany and Troy. The reason I don't want them all to fight is because we're all the underdog. And if we team up and try to fight back against all of the negativity, then we can actually become the favorite and become a spot people want to go. Awesome. We, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Jeff. This, well, we're, it's, we're done. I hate to say it. We are, this is the fat Tony, it's career move, so make it very quick and make it very quick because we always promise to get out at one o'clock. Great, two questions. Why Redburn two. and what is your favorite tool or machine that your development company uses? Um, why Redburn, like why do we merge or why is it called Redburn? Why the name, quickly, very um, fast. The two principals are uh, Tom Rossi and John Blackburn and Rossi in Italian means red and obviously the burn and John Blackburn, Redburn. Favorite tool? Uh, the human mind. Okay. Awesome. All right. So, we always promise to get out at 1 o'clock, so we will be doing that. So, thank you again so much, Jeff. You were awesome. Um, he's not even feeling